Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey, RJ, how you doing? You, you survived the last two days okay? Yes, good, uh, tired, but it, it's it's been a crazy ride, but uh, happy to, to do all that. Awesome. You've, you've survived your first, um, you know, exit interview, season-ending interview, uh, media availability days. Uh, it's a big, big deal. Uh, while you're doing the reporter thing, I guess you kind of get to take that hat off now. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, for, for the time being, for sure. Although it felt in some ways like I've done this before in that I've gone to school before and it was kind of like that last day today where everyone's signing each other's yearbooks, saying goodbye, have a great summer, all that stuff. So that part of it felt familiar. But yeah, it's it's been a lot of reporting, that's for sure. Yeah, so now you get to relax, watch some playoff hockey, Get back into the swing of things here and, you know, we'll just dissect what we're seeing and all that fun stuff. Um, feel really good about my St. Louis pick. That's for sure. <laughs> Looking good early on. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So just so everybody knows and, and welcome back to the deep dive, everybody. Um, we're going to kind of do these like season reviews in two parts. So this episode, we're going to, you know, hear from RJ about all the exit interviews and all the media availability that he's done the last two days. Uh, as the Kraken have finished, you know, everything up and the players are leaving and, and all that kind of stuff. We'll go over all the news and what people had to say, you know, off-season plans, all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to take a look at what the season was for the Kraken. What worked? What didn't work? What did we want to see them ad- address uh, as we go through the off-season and stuff? Very much a macro view of the organization. And then in part two, which we'll release... On Monday of next week, kind of the normal deep dive time slot, that's when we're going to break it down and kind of go, you know, from the individual perspective, or we'll go ahead and give like final season grades for all of the players and, and, and really break them down and talk about who we liked, what aspects of the game we thought were good, what we'd like to see them work on and maybe improve over the course of the offseason, that kind of stuff. So it's we're 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 taking this end of the season stuff very seriously which meant instead of just dumping some like three hour long podcast on everybody we thought probably better to split it up into two parts make it a little more digestible make it a little easier on us too and we'll handle it that way um all right so that's what we're doing there rj gonna pass it over to you really first off what was like your what was I guess you kind of already talked about it. It had that last day of school vibe. But yeah, what was the general feeling around the building from, I guess, the, the players and the coaching staff and stuff? Because, you know, season's over. It wasn't necessarily the season they wanted, but there were some positives there towards the end. Yeah, there definitely were. And I think you you kind of got that sense, you know, talking from everyone. I think people kind of wanted to look on the bright side of things. Definitely, you know, different than I would imagine the feel has been for, you know, some other teams that didn't make the playoffs where, you know, it's it's kind of more entrenched, uh, you know, what what you're supposed to do. And, and, you know, I think there's kind of that that leeway being the first season and everyone just, you know, gearing up for summer. And I think across the board, you saw this eagerness to have that full off season with everyone together and, and kind of have more of a normal start to next season. I think people were really excited about that and it provided a big uh, reason for optimism. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's going to be huge for them. We've talked about it several times over the course of this year and certainly, you know, go back to our like post game lives from the beginning of the year and stuff, right. We were just talking like, look, if they had a normal off season schedule 
and they had mm-hmm. you know time to already know each other and not have to introduce themselves and go through a training camp and go through preseason where it's normal and your building is finished like remember these were things that happened last year it seems like a long time ago we're we're kind of so far past it but like climate pledge was not ready for them when this team was assembled they they could not go and see it they could not practice on the ice there you know what I mean? Like that was not an option for them. That's why in part they were doing, you know, playing the preseason games at all the different um, WHL arenas and stuff. So there was a lot in flux beyond just the fact that the team had to come together, had to start existing last off season that I think we've lost sight of over the course of everything. Um, and yeah, I could see the players wanting that return to normalcy and it'll also be interesting to see you know what the league and and what the kraken want to do as far as covid protocols and everything through that because that was also a big story through training camp and then the the first part of the season as well dealing with all of that like i I think it'll be really nice for the team to just kind of be able to put all that in the past i think that'll be a big deal for them um as far as personalities go, RJ, it seemed like the players really opened up here at the end. Like the stress of the season and everything seemed like it was kind of gone this go around. Yes, it did. And you you definitely saw that in these player media availabilities. I think a lot of weight has kind of been lifted off their shoulders and everything with the season being over. And also just kind of knowing, look, yeah, we didn't do as well as we would have liked, but but that's okay, you know, because we've got a lot of optimism heading into next season. Um, and you could tell that also just in the way that they always talked about the fans, too. And we'll get into that in more detail later. But just knowing that everyone was going to be by their side and sticking with them through good and bad. That, you know, a lot of times when you see exit interviews from teams that finished as low in the standings as the Kraken did, there's just this, you know, this kind of weight on all the players, this you know, frustration, just this, you know, kind of sadness they feel like they have to kind of feel and express um, be- this this air of failure around them, yeah. right? Um, and you didn't get that this time, which, which I think is good. And that's, you know, how it should be. It's it's the organization's first season and whatnot. But you really did have the players kind of open up, especially about the things they liked about Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. When the season is so busy, um, you know, it, you kind of have to talk about the games and what's right in front of you and keep your eyes on the prize and all that. But they got the chance to, you know, talk a little bit more about just how their life has been and, you know, what they've enjoyed about living here. Yeah. And um, I thought that that was really cool. And I wouldn't, you know, tell anybody if you haven't already go check out uh, on our Twitter page. Uh, it's at Emerald City HKY. RJ did a great job of posting um, certainly all the pictures and some fun interview quotes and stuff from that. It really gives you an idea of, of what everybody was talking about and, and the different things that everybody focused on. I thought that that was really awesome. Um, did you, did it, you know, any particular moments stand out? Like, do you have like a top two or three, you know, funny or Seattle based moments you, you just want to mention real quick? Yeah, let's see. Um, we'll start with, I guess, Maddie Beneers. Um, talking about how Seattle kind of reminds him of Massachusetts, mm-hmm. uh, which it was funny. Definitely got some chuckles from us because he was so excited that he gets to eat seafood again. He's yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I can finally have some good clam chowder. Like, it's great. I get to eat it again. I definitely didn't want to do that in Michigan. You know, I imagine the clam chowder is probably not as good there. Um, but we heard some comparisons from Ryan Donato also earlier in the season about how Seattle kind of reminds them a little bit of Boston in that area. But good that they can kind of feel a little bit more at home here. 
Yeah, that was the one that jumped off, you know, Twitter at me was was the Maddie Veneers yep. one. So I'm glad you brought that one up. I think that was really, really good. Um, but yes, the other thing that it seemed like everybody kept coming back around to was the fans just expressing how grateful they were for this fan base, how loud this fan base was at Climate Pledge Arena. Just it seemed like every single one of them to a man had something to say about the fan base that um, it didn't, you know, obviously all athletes are going to say like good things about the fans, but it didn't come across as though this was just like a mandate handed down from the organization like hey don't forget to mention the fans they all felt very genuine and sincere especially because they all brought them up in kind of personal ways and i thought that that was really nice they really talked about um if not a personal moment but just how it kind of impacted them you know as individuals uh dealing with this fan base and interacting with them and the energy that they could get from them and i think that that's huge considering you know the last time they played at climate pledge arena that fan base was so there for it and the fan appreciation night and everything. And you could just tell that the team was feeding off that energy in that game so well. And even during that three game win streak that I was up there for, like it was really, you could see that synergy coming together between fans and team. So uh, I liked hearing that a lot. I think that's absolutely the right read on it. And one thing that impressed me was how often that stuff came up unprompted mm -hmm. you know it wasn't like what do you think about the fans and how great they are you know it was players even when not directly asked about that bringing up the fans and how, how great they've been and um today you know i think it was jordan everly that said you know that the fan base they're so great at cheering for you not just when things are going well but when they're not he said i've, I've played in front of some fan bases that you know they love you but then once you lose things really turn uh and they never did that here um and that was a common theme as well too um jamie alexiak yesterday uh was talking about and i think he was just asked about kind of what you know a highlight from the season or some memory or something like that it had nothing to do with the fans the question and he brought up that first colorado game now, if you remember, they were down seven to nothing in mm -hmm. that game, you know, ended up being a seven, three final. But he brought that up as kind of a highlight because he was talking about how they were still cheering in the third period down seven to nothing, you know, after a big save or once they finally got a goal in that game, you know, it was as loud as that building had been the entire game. And that is a game that really stuck with the players, you can tell. We've had multiple players bring that up, even months since and unprompted. Like that game, I think, really stuck in the players' minds, you know, that the fans are here for us no matter what. And it, it just means so much to them, you can really tell. Yeah, it, it does. And um, I, I really do think that there is something special about this Seattle Kraken fan base. Um, we've talked about it, you know, as far as the, the kind of community we've had grow here on YouTube or, uh, you know, listening to our podcast, people we've interacted with on Twitter, the other Twitter communities that have sprung up. And then obviously just the way everybody interacts with the actual with the Kraken itself, right, the, the, the organization and everything. Um, it's it's been really, really cool to see all those aspects and stuff. But yes in the building it has been something special night in night out and and look let's be real there was questions i think everybody kind of had at different points um leading up to the season right when we were first okay it's you know it's an, it's an amazon's getting like the name you know what i mean the naming rights kind of thing we had everybody you know questions about that you had questions when ticket prices were first released like oh is this just going to be like a corporate thing 
based on right. who's going to be able to afford to go to games and who maybe they're going to cater to as far as wanting to bring in to go to games. They got, you know, the Space Needle Lounge. They've got all this kind of stuff. Like, what a, what exactly is this going to look like? But at the end of the day, the Seattle sports fan community came through and made this an incredible experience, an incredible game day experience. You had all the stuff going on at the armories before the game, right? Like, that was super cool. Um I, I just think that, yeah, it's Seattle is such a, a great sports market that it, it bled through no matter what. And it is really awesome that um, the players felt that in a year where, as I said before, because of COVID, they couldn't exactly interact with the fans all that much. It had to no, come from really a distance. Couldn't. Yep. And that's something else that, you know, the players mentioned, just the difficulty of not being able to do as much as they would have liked get out in the community and team build with each other. They had a lot of team building activities that were planned that had to be canceled because of COVID. Yeah. So I think, I think it's, it's a big deal. It should not be something that's overlooked. I know a lot of places tend to overlook the, the fans in those regards, but the bottom line is I think it really mattered for, for this team and getting them through the season. Uh, Cause I know how difficult it must've been on all the players, but between how it started and then certainly how the season went uh, itself. Uh, I, I just can't even imagine. So uh, give your give yourselves a pat on the back, all you Kraken fans. You, yes, you have well deserved earned it. Yes. Um, all right. So anything else kind of stick out as far as the player interviews went? You know, systems wise. Anybody talking about like on ice things? Maybe how they felt like they performed this year. Maybe got better as the year went on. Anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I think. You know, we'll talk, I guess, generally, you know, systems wise and everything. I think um, there was kind of, a, I think, a general agreement that they had found bits of the ways that they want to play. There was a lot of talk about identity, uh, especially from Yanni Gord. I mean, he mentioned it more than anyone else about having a team identity and the importance of, you know, kind of playing that way. Um, I'm trying to bring this up, you know, here fast, hard and relentless. That's kind of how he described what the identity is. And I think there are certainly some moments from the season where we saw what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. A lot of those involved Yanni Gord. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, uh, he's certainly that that kind of guy. Um, and, you know, he was saying that it's we, we've kind of discovered that we just need to put it together for 60 minutes a night and, you know, for 82 games. Um, so I, I think that was something that a lot of the players kind of agreed with is consistency definitely mm -hmm. needs to be there more often. Um, you know, as far as players who have improved or uh, one thing that, that stood out to me, we were talking to Jared McCann today and he was asked, you know, yes, he, you get the points, you get the goals and everything. It's easy to celebrate your season, but who's someone who maybe doesn't get, you know, as much recognition from on the point side of things, but who still stood out to you as, you know, as be, you know, performing well. And he uh, singled out Jonas Donskoy. Mm. Um, you know, he said that he was impressive, even though, you know, you, everyone looks at the points, everyone's going to see the goals, but you know, he kind of took on more of a defensive role this year and, you know, stood out to him as being a 200 foot player and, and especially his work on the penalty kill. Yeah. And I think that that's something, you know, we and many other Kraken fans identified certainly lately this last, you know, two weeks, really, once he worked himself back into the lineup, you could tell the difference that was made when he was out there on that fourth line. Um, but, but even earlier in the year, you could tell as he was kind of falling down the, the, the lines as the goals weren't there for him, as the points weren't there for him. Um, didn't he start on the first unit power play? Like, 
Yeah, he was, I think yeah, he was the bumper guy. I think on the first yes, unit, yes, he was the bumper guy on the yeah. first unit, yeah. and that was really supposed to like be his thing. And and so, you know, he he was supposed to kind of be that depth scoring option, that kind of guy who's, who could who could you know pitch in and and score goals on a team that we knew was going to struggle with that based on mm-hmm. who they had um, in the lineup, and it just didn't work out for him. But yeah, credit for him as as he kept falling down the depth chart he kept adjusting his game to be what it needed to be so that he could contribute to the team and, and play the best hockey that he could at the time. And um, I do, I do think that that's really cool of Jared McCann to kind of single him out and, and talk about that because that is something that, yeah, it is easy for people to point to it and just be like, okay, you scored two goals, right? I think he finished with two. Yeah. Um, that's a huge letdown when we were talking about you, you know, flirting with 20 before the season started. And, um, and you ended up on the fourth line, you were a healthy scratch at times, you know, I think it's, it is worth noting that, you know, he, he was a professional, he handled it well, and he made sure that he, you know, didn't hear about any tantrums. He was thrown in the locker room. Yeah. He wasn't demanding a trade. He wasn't doing any of that kind of diva type stuff. He was just, no, I'm going to adjust how I'm playing based on where I can help this team right now. Cause it's certainly not with goal scoring. I just can't figure that out. And, and uh, he got it done. And I think that that, it says a lot about him. I think it says a lot about the Kraken as a whole, that he felt comfortable doing that and wanted to do that. I think that's important mm-hmm. too, because um, you know there are some teams where guys would hit that level and just be like, you know what? No, I'm not. I just don't feel it with these guys. It does. I don't feel like I'm going to be rewarded, or anybody's going to see it, or anybody's going to appreciate it. Really, right? Like I, I guarantee you that has happened before, and um, that was not the case here. He, he no, it knew wasn't that they would appreciate it. And and I think there's also an element of leadership there from from Jared McCann to kind of mm-hmm. point out Jonas Donskoy. I think he kind of knows what he's doing there that, you know, I'm sure Donskoy's gotten a lot of flack from, you know, a lot of people, yeah. you know, given given the play and everything. I'm sure Jared sees that and, and wants to, you know, highlight the, the better aspects of his game. And and while we're on Donskoy, um, interesting comments. I mean, I think it was Ron Francis who was talking about they had just finished um, his, you know, kind of end of season interview um with him and uh francis talked a little bit about him saying you know he that that jonas kind of put a lot of blame on himself for for the lack of performance said that he you know changed up some things as far as you know i guess like training regiment things like that in the off season and it didn't work out as well as he would have liked um but that kind of the message you know from from him from hackstall was just that you got to shoot a little bit more. You know, you're you're not mm-hmm. going to score if you don't shoot, and and you got to go to the net. You look. You said you look at a lot of those goals that he scored in Colorado when he had 17 mm-hmm. uh, the season before. A lot of those came from going to the net, going to those areas where goals come from. And I think you know after a while, uh, Jonas kind of stopped doing that as much. So I think they're probably looking to get him back toward that type of game uh, that he played in Colorado. So what you're telling me is Hackstall is capable of telling guys to go to the net. <laughs> yes, clear. Although that was, I think Ron Francis is the one who, okay. who said all that. So, but I assume, uh, you know, Hackstall was nodding, you know, so <laughs> I assume he agrees. There we go. Um, cause oh boy, are we going to get into that stuff later? Um, sure are. All right. Anything else from the player interviews, um, that we want to talk about and, and kind of discuss here? I mean, obviously Jaden Schwartz was one of the more interesting situations. If you want to touch on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jaden Schwartz, it was tough. He definitely didn't seem, 
you know, kind of too optimistic about things when we saw him today. I mean, the first question right off the bat was, you know, how's your how's your health doing? Uh, you know, where's your health at? And he just said, you know, obviously not that great. Uh, and he did clarify that um, it seemed like the hand is all better, but he clarified there's something else that's unrelated to his hand uh, that they are still getting tests done and they're trying to figure it out. So wouldn't say obviously what that was. Just something not related to the hand. I, you know, reading between the lines, maybe that says head injury. That that would kind of fit that criteria. But you know, it could be a number of different things. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's on the plus side. Uh, Ron Francis did say that he expects both Jaden and uh, Brandon Tanev back for the start of training camp. So okay. hopefully, it's not too serious. Yeah, no, that is that is important and good to hear for on both fronts. Yeah, I mean. My first reaction was, is this hockey? And it's like, nope, it's not related to my hand. It's my wrist. Like, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that, that would be great. You got us. Forearm. But, uh, carpal tunnel. I, you know, like, but um, yeah, no, that, that is, it is interesting to hear because, you know, obviously we, I remember as people were asking about like, hey, when do you think we'll see Schwartz? Because the timetable was, you know, up. And then he touched right. ice and he got in for a game or two and then it was just gone again. And um, it was a very mysterious thing and we were all worried about him. And, you know, it's I know how upsetting it can be when, you know, you're still running tests after all this time to still kind of be trying to figure out what it is and what the best course of treatment might be for whatever it is. I know how difficult that is to go through for anybody Um much less, you know, a professional athlete where everything is tied to your body that way. Like, I can't even imagine that. So um, it's, you know, it's it's good to hear from him in, in that sense yeah. and, and get an idea. And it's good, you know, what Ron Francis had to say about him being ready for training camp next year, hopefully. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's also difficult and uh, wish him well, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. Any, anything else? Anybody else you want to talk about? Yeah, there's there's a few more if you don't mind. Yeah, let's um, do it. Yeah, I mean, let's talk Vince Dunn. I mean, he was the mm-hmm. first one that we got kind of on the first day. Um, and I he mentioned, you know, kind of quickly in an answer that, um, you know, he's learned a lot from Adam Larson, you know, being paired. The two of those, uh, those two guys have been paired together for far and away the most minutes yeah. of any D pair the Kraken have. I think it's like, you know, 500 something. No one else has over like 300, you know. Um, but I, I kind of followed up and asked him, you know, what, what Adam Larson has taught him and, you know, what he's learned there. And he said just a lot of the defensive side of the game, it's kind of what we suspected was going on there. You know, with, we, we saw some Adam Larson like moments, uh, from Vince Dunn as the two had been paired together, you know, longer in the season. And he said, uh, you know, he's taught me a lot of defensive things, kind of where to be, you know, you know, how to angle up on, on the man, things like that. And that also being paired with him allows me to be a little bit more freewheeling offensively, just Mm -hmm. knowing that he's got it totally covered if, you know, I need to be aggressive. And, um, you could tell that, that Dunn really appreciated Larson's presence there. And then we kind of talked to Larson too, about, you know, being a leader in that way. And, um, you know, he said, you know, I'm just, it's something I, I really try and do is, is, um, you know, help out these players that I'm with and, and teach and do that kind of thing that he, he definitely takes pride in it. Um, and one more thing on Larson too, um, Hackstall was asked today, you know, is there anyone from the leadership group that kind of really stepped up over the second half of the season and, and led that way after Giordano, uh, 
you know, moved on to Toronto. And he singled out Adam Larson as a guy who really stepped up and, and mentored people. So I know you're a big uh, mm-hmm. fan of Adam Larson and, you know, just doing more from the leadership perspective. So I wanted to make sure to bring that one up. Yeah, no, that's that's really nice to hear. I'm, I'm definitely glad to hear it. Uh, it's it's always nice when, you know, you kind of got that perception and it's nice to hear stuff back it up. And that's, you know, the A on his chest is there for a reason. And yep. it sounds like doing a good job of representing the defensive core, it, you know, post-Geo trade. So, so yeah. really happy to hear that. Um, yeah, definitely. And then, and then the other one uh, that I want to bring up was um, Ryan Donato. Because we're, you know, as an RFA, I think mm-hmm. we're all kind of hoping that that the Kraken find a way to get a deal done with him. Um, and, you know, they haven't, uh, you know, the two camps haven't really talked. He said he hasn't talked with Ron about a new contract, which isn't surprising given that it's so soon after yeah. the season ends. But he said, you know, if I'm lucky enough to be back, it would be great. And just you could tell the whole time that he loves being here. Mm-hmm. You know, he had this whole answer about, you know, he goes to Pike Place Market, you know, every week to go get his produce. You know, he goes to all the parks with his dog. Like, you know, you could tell he just loves being in this area, loves Seattle. And, and the way he's talking about it, like, it's like, gosh, you know, there's so much that I like. Talked about all the restaurants and everything. I think he really wants to stay. And hopefully, hopefully uh, Ron Francis agrees. I was going to say, as Striatic would say, with us mm-hmm. now. Make Seattle Ryan Donato's forever home. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Throw that one in there. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I get it. You're not, I would have assumed that he didn't immediately after that Winnipeg game, you know, on the flight back to Seattle, you know, walk up or down the plane, depending on where everybody sits to Ron Francis, just be like, where's my money? yeah probably not the move to make there (laughs) probably not probably not after that game specifically too (laughs) maybe after a win you know you get if like after that sharks game that might have been a good time right (laughs) just walk up to ron francis's office the next morning hey where's my contract um yeah no i i still think it's for sure something is going to get done there like there's just i can't imagine any scenario in which Ryan Donato is not a member of the Seattle Kraken next year. Yeah, no, I, I it's got to happen. So yeah. I, I'm not worried about that. But just, again, good to see how much he loves being here. Yeah, no, and that was something that many players talked about, and it's good to hear you want you want that. It, it mm-hmm. does help when they like the community that they're playing in. I, I think that that matters a lot. I think it matters a lot for their effort level on tough nights and all that kind of stuff, right? Like we were saying earlier, that relationship between them and the fans, that synergy there, I think that is part of oh, it. Yeah. They, they have to you know want to be there and want to support those people as much and that community that they are a part of. They have to see themselves as a part of that community because there are times where athletes don't. And, and yeah. I do think that their performance is at times worse because of that. So glad to, glad to hear it for sure. All right. One more player related thing before we move on. Mm-hmm. Um, guys going to the world championships. Yep. Uh, you know, that's something we see with teams that don't make the playoffs. A lot of guys will, will often go to represent their country at the world championships this year. It is in Helsinki, Finland. Um, and the Kraken have three, possibly four players going to play in the Worlds. Uh, we know for sure that Grubauer, Larsen, and Drieger are going. Grubauer for Germany, Adam Larsen for Sweden, and then, um, you know, excuse me, Chris Drieger for Canada. So good to see that. Um, and then possibly Carson Kuhlman. 
So I don't know. I, I asked Ron Francis about this because Grubauer told us he was going to Worlds. So we knew that mm -hmm. for sure. Larson was on the ice with him this morning. So we could kind of put the dots together. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I asked him if there was anyone else. And he said possibly Kuhlman. So that'd be kind of cool for uh, for Carson Kuhlman to be able to go. Yeah, another RFA that I you know would love to see stick with the team ne next year. Mm -hmm. That would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So team, possibly Team USA for him. Also, notably, Matty Beniers will not be going. Mm -hmm. uh to the worlds i i think he's had enough uh you know things this season man um, i was just gonna ask about him because yeah he's been through a lot this season lots of stuff was there any talk from him or francis or hackstall just kind of about what his situation might look like next year uh not exactly i mean you know there's the normal praise that they've kind of mm -hmm. given him since you know really day one i mean just great things to say about him you know as far as you know, position next year, it was kind of more vague stuff. Like, you know, we'll, we'll want him to grow. We want him to take that next step and, you know, be real contributor for us and all that kind of thing. And, um, that was kind of what was echoed from Maddie as well. Just talking about wanting to get to the next level of his game and, you know, more taking things in regularly. And, you know, he mentioned that he had learned a lot too, in yeah. just this short amount of time here. Uh, you know, mostly with the schedule stuff too. He's like, you know, in, in college, you, um, you know, you play a game and you've got like kind of a week to think about it and make adjustments or whatever, but here, you know, oh, you're playing again two days later. Uh, it's a very different feel, but, um, you know, he's certainly, you know, handle it with flying colors. What was I saying? Everybody said it all year in relation to Matty Beniers. You want to get him in so that he can learn all that stuff, just the behind the scenes, the scheduling, how you got to deal with your body hurting and then going to practice that next morning after a game. You got to figure that stuff out. And it didn't matter what he did in these 10 games that he played with the Kraken. If that was all he took away to go into next season, having that under his belt and not having to be a concern for him, it was going to be worth it. Just so happens he was able to put up, what, nine, nine points and and be fantastic on the ice in addition to learning those lessons. So that is absolutely music to my ears. No, no talk about like the next level is just more than one point a game, right? Like to be able to do that. <laughs> Clearly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Multi-point games, probably part of that, but nothing specific about, you know, kind of where his role is in the lineup. I think, you know, most players would probably tell you that's not their call to make. Yeah. You know, yeah. as far as what their role is. And I think, you know, most coaches and GMs would be pretty close to the vest on that. I was going to say, they don't really talk about that stuff at the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When we get into training camp and all that, we yeah. can, we can ask about that. Yeah, I just I was just curious because you never know with a budding franchise player like that who looked so well, so good in their short stint here. Um, it's uh yeah, all right. We talked about them. You talked about their you know talking with them. Ron Francis, Coach Hackstall. I mean, why don't you why don't you give us the lowdown? Any big announcements from them, and then we can kind of transition from there into talking about the team's performance as a whole this season yeah so after the player media availabilities we got ron francis and, and dave haxtall together which was interesting just kind of a different feel the two of them sitting side by side uh, uh, you gonna, know, as you're talking to them together yeah gonna take that to me and haxtall is here for next year yes haxtall will be here for next year um sorry so, hunter yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> but i mean i'm not surprised um we we kind of 
we did get basically our answer as far as the coaching staff and what changes would be made today. Um, and before they started with anything, any questions, uh, they did announce that the goalie coach, Andrew Allen, would not be returning. They would not be uh, renewing his contract for next year. Uh, so that's kind of the coaching change that we're going to get. Now, I think it it makes sense given where the goaltending was at this season. Um, you know, obviously not the results that anybody wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how much of that is on just randomness versus goalie coaching versus the goalies themselves. You know, hard to say, but I think they kind of identified that as an area that, you know, was simply not good enough. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, there's going to be a new goalie coach next season. I know. And that's something we talked about a lot at the beginning of the year when the goaltending was unbelievably bad. Like it was otherworldly bad, but totally flipped the script and massive strides were made by really everybody involved in the process over the second half of the season to the point where the Kraken were able to get up there and kind of be slightly above average in terms of goaltending league wide. And so it is a little surprising to me that that was the one decision they made was was arguably the one aspect of the game that you could see them make adjustments and show market improvement in. Right. But and, obviously and not the, enough, I guess. Yeah. There, I think there was a lot of improvement toward the end of the season. Um, it, it's difficult, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's clearly not good enough. And it's something that I think more than any other issue with this team needs to be fixed next season if they're going yes. to be competitive. I think they feel the pressure there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's hard to tell behind the scenes, especially with the assistant coaches, too, because we don't get to talk to them like we get to talk to mm-hmm. Dave. Um, and, and I did ask uh, Chris Drieger actually about that today before the announcement, of course, with Andrew Allen. I said, you know, what can you kind of tell us about, you know, Andrew as a goalie coach, you know, because we don't get a whole lot of insight into that. And it was a pretty standard answer. You know, he's done a good job. We, you know, we've made good progress and all this kind of stuff. He mentioned that it was kind of rough at the start of the season and that there is this kind of, you know, communication curve that you need to uh, to have when you whenever you get a new goalie coach, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he had fairly good things to say about uh andrew and uh alan also he was on the ice working with philip grubauer today um and you'd have to imagine he probably knew that he was not yeah. going to be brought back so you know class moved to stay there and, and help crew get ready for the world championships exactly so it, it'll be interesting obviously we've had lots of talk about all of the coaching staff at hackstall all the way down um i think when we start digging into some things you know might have, might point might have pointed to maybe making more than just this one move, but for now we at least have our answer. We've been speculating about it for a long time. Everybody's been talking about it, and we now know what's up. And so that's that's half the battle right there. For sure, it allows us to really clarify things going forward into next season. You know, I think in the back of our minds there was this little, well, you know, who's gone? What if they're mm-hmm. there? But now we know you can have that stability going forward. Yep. All right. So what what else did they talk about? What's what was kind of the feel from, you know, the the guys truly representing the organization, representing the front office and and everything uh, about things? I think they kind of echoed the optimism for the future that the players talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, There was definitely a, uh, you know, this air that things were going to get better. Uh, and they were committed to making sure things get better. Uh, one of the things that was talked about both with the coaches and a lot of the players too, was just how important it's going to be to get a full off season together and, and have it feel normal again. Um, and, you know, I did get into kind of expectations a little bit too. I, I asked uh, Ron Francis point blank, you know, what would in your mind be a successful season next year? And he said, making the playoffs. 
you know, that that's success is making the playoffs, you know, for what we're looking at next year. That's kind of what the goal is. So I think it's good to kind of get that expectation set. You see where his mind is at. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not he was asked kind of, is this also like a, you know, one year build, two year build, three, you know, that kind of thing. Do you have a timeline on it? And he just kind of kept going back to, you know, we're, we want to make the playoffs. That's what you want to do. Um, so I think that's kind of what the goal is for next year and kind of where we can all set our targets at. So that was interesting to me. Um as far as, you know, roster stuff, you know, how do you get there? What do you need to add? Um, I think Ron Francis was actually, you know, pretty transparent as far as what he saw the team's needs being. I was very pleased with that. I didn't think yeah. we were going to get a whole lot uh, on that front. But he talked about, um, first of all, scoring, mm-hmm. you know, needing to to add it forward. He said you want to get someone who's who can play in the top six and then maybe, and he said, I think maybe another one who can play in the top nine. So mm-hmm. that tells you what they're looking at for forward. We kind of knew that already, yeah. but you're looking for a scoring top six forward. And then you're also maybe looking for a guy in the top nine as well to complement the depth forwards. I think that's kind of both, you know, what we both had thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on, on defense, he was asked too, if, you know, you'd also maybe look for a, you know, a puck moving defenseman to kind of help with those scoring issues. And, you know, he said both for sure, the forwards, you know, the forward and the defenseman, you know, that's something they would be interested in. Um, so I think those are going to be the areas that they're going to target, um, you know, top six forward, top nine forward and puck moving defenseman. Now that's kind of what we had assumed, yeah. but to hear Ron Francis basically confirm that, uh, you can kind of see what his targets are going to be in the off season. Yeah. I was going to say several times throughout this whole process, even going back to last summer, Ron Francis has really surprised me with how open he's been and just kind of laid it bare and, and said, hey, look, these are the realities. You guys can all see it. Let's, I'm not going to play dumb with you, you know, mm-hmm. about what we have going on. And I really appreciate that because I hate when general managers play dumb, essentially. Right. Yes. Like like there are general managers around this league that would talk about this and just be like well you know we'll, we're gonna take a look at it and whatever and they wouldn't just be like no we need we need goal scoring and we'd like to add you know some wingers in their top six and because that would be giving away too much top secret information even though the entire world can see hey that's the problem mm-hmm. exactly and i'm i'm so grateful that he's doing that because most gms wouldn't and and i think very early on like when you talk around the expansion draft and stuff francis didn't really either of course he's got so much on his plate with the expansion draft there's yeah. just so much i i do get it um but yeah i mean props to francis i know i've given him a hard time like around mm-hmm. the expansion draft about not really saying anything but he has been so much better basically since like march 1st when he kind of met with us yeah. um i was surprised at how much you know that, that he let on you know about what he was going to do and um yeah, I've just been pleased with that ever since. Um, the other big off-season, uh, you call it conundrum, call it dilemma, whatever that they've got, um, the goaltending issue, yep. right? We know Joey Decord is going to require waivers to be sent down. Uh, it might force a decision between Drieger and Decord. This is something we've talked about. Although it didn't seem like uh, Francis was really all that worried about it or thinking about it. Um, he said, you know, yes, we do, you know, Joey is going <laughs> to require waivers. Mm-hmm. You know, you do run the risk of, of losing him there if you want to send him down. But, you know, that's something that we'll look at, you know, in training camp, you know, and if we need to make that decision or make a call and, you know, potentially risk losing him, that's just something we got to deal with. But the fact that he mentioned training camp, yeah, you know, I mean, that, that tells me that he doesn't feel that he's going to be forced to make a decision on one of them this off season. Um, or at least that he's, you know, the other 
explanation I could see is that you don't want to communicate that you need yeah. to make a decision necessarily. So it might just be that, you know, not wanting to let GMs know you're in a tough position there. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably, you know, if you're going to go target Chris Drieger and he's like, yeah, we got to make this choice. It's going to be tough. It's going to lower the asking price. So that might be it as well. Yeah. Although again, other general managers can recognize your reality. They see yes. it. They know like, you know, it's like, eh. But that's that's where, uh, based on how open he's been, I'm going to go ahead and give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think it was that. I think, I think there is a part of him that you know is like, hey, this is a tough choice, and let's be real. We keep saying they should keep Decord because he's he's younger, cheaper, all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is, his his games were not great with the Kraken no. this year at all. No, they weren't. And you can argue he didn't have the proper support in front of him, but mm -hmm. still, he's got to do his job. And um, on that small sample size, I kind of understand, you know, thinking, can we really afford to make sure he's our backup and he's getting, you know, 20 to 30 games next season right. for sure? I understand, you know, the hesitation there. So um, we'll see where that goes. But Francis doesn't seem all that worried. Yeah. You know, a team that could be interested in him, just given how much they've seen of him. Uh I mean, shoot, go ahead. Florida. Mm. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, Drieger you're talking about. No, no, Decorg. I mean, playing with Charlotte. Oh, okay. They got a That's good read right. on That's him, too. AHL. Not, that, mm. not that they really need to add another goalie. In I was going to say, yeah, you've got Bobrovsky and Knight. but <laughs> No, but you know who else saw him a couple times this year? A couple Kraken games? What, did he uh, yeah. play against the Oilers? The Oilers. I think he played yep. twice against the Oilers at the beginning of the year. Yeah, that might be a smart pickup for them. Yeah. If you can get it at a good price, I, they need to bring in a goalie, as we I was saw. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, they're the top trading partner for either goalie probably anyway, just because they so desperately need one. And I know it hurts to trade a goaltender in division like that. You don't want to be helping out a divisional opponent, especially a team that wasn't exactly rock solid at getting to the playoffs this year. So you know you're probably really going to be competitive with them next year. But at the same time, they're the ones you can really kind of, you know, Get the most you can squeeze them for that better return yeah exactly so it'll be interesting to see how ron francis plays it all over the course of the season but have a lot more faith after that trade deadline he handled that very sure. very well when it came to all these kinds of things so i feeling yep. feeling okay about it yep and of course mentioned again the draft picks all the draft picks he acquired as, yes. as potential ammunition to go do things uh that's definitely something they got to watch out for yeah did you ask about patrick lining see on the you know, <laughs> no, I did not ask about Patrick Lydon. You didn't. You didn't tempt them into into a tampering conundrum and controversy, RJ. Yeah, exactly. And and, and uh, Ron, I think it was a couple other people's questions. Like, you know, I can't mention anyone in particular because that's tampering. <laughs> um, but he did say also, you know, he likes the free agent class. He does feel that there's a few guys that hopefully they get to, uh, you know, get to the start of free agency that that could help the team. Yeah, I I think we I think we got a good idea about that. Um, yeah. All right, so, I mean, Ron Francis talked about it there somewhat. It's obvious what this team's biggest problem was this season, and I'm just <laughs> going to throw out some stuff that highlights how bad their goal scoring was. Well, goals per game, Kraken finished fifth worst in the NHL. It came to power play percentage, they were fourth worst in the NHL, rocking that sweet, sweet 14.22% on the power play. Right. That'll really do it for you. Team shooting percentage. Sixth worst in the NHL. So that was maybe not quite as bad. But again, your 8.9% is not 
not good no. at all. Anytime you're down single digits like that. I mean, I guess a lot of teams are, but still, it's it's not great. You want to be at least over nine. And uh, they were not. Surprisingly, though, you look at the teams behind them. Got Boston, got Los Angeles there, a couple playoff teams. So Interesting. In- inter- I would not think that. Very, very interesting. That being said, they took um, significantly more shots than all these other teams down there. So they made up for it in volume. Okay, so they're volume shooters. Yeah, yeah. we're talking about over 500 more shots for both of them than the Seattle Kraken took oh this year goodness. as a team. So basically an Ovechkin's worth of shots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's goal scoring was not there this year. We knew it was going to be a struggle just looking at the roster entering the season. Um, we knew certainly post expansion draft that was going to be an issue. Free agency, we had questions about, you know, is Jaden Schwartz really going to help out your goal scoring issue? Maybe not. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was bad. Um, there was plenty of nights where you felt like if the Kraken had two, it was going, you know, they better only allow one because I don't know that they can buy a third goal. And uh, that's kind of what the numbers play out is their, you know, goals per game finished at 2.66, which is very, very low in a year where league scoring was up or at least seemingly yeah. it was. Yeah, but it was way up. And, you know, that you're talking about, yeah, the Florida team finish over four. Maple Leafs finish 3.85. Like they're almost, you know, getting close to doubling up on you certainly a goal and a half more a game than what you can muster and then that's i know the goaltending was bad but we saw the goaltending improved greatly in the second half of the year and they had a lot of the same results just because they could not score yeah exactly um and that's definitely something that everyone knows is an area of need i mean it's 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 yeah i know super obvious but the thing that i think could could best help that would be improving the power play. And so we had lots of questions, you know, Paul McFarlane in charge of that power play. He is coming back. Mm-hmm. I really, really hope he takes this off season to, to really take a look at it and f- try to figure out what went wrong and what can be improved on it. I know I joke about, you know, you got to stay away from the one, three, one. I understand that there is nothing really else that you can run these days in the NHL, but for crying out loud, if you're going to have that one person, the, 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 the one, the first one, please just be in front of the goaltender. Don't be to the side of the net. What is this? Yeah, agreed. I mean, we've, we've talked so much about the power play and the issues. Hopefully that's one of the things they really just go back to the drawing board uh, and, and try and figure out. You know, I know it's the coaching staff. They're going to go through. They're going to look at video. They're going to try and make adjustments. Uh Hopefully it's just a matter of that, you know, during the season, they just kind of felt rushed and didn't want to, you know, make some of these wholesale changes, you know, in the flow of things. I don't know that that's really the case. I'm not really confident that it is, but hopefully. I was going to say, I mean, after they basically went all year without doing that, do you have a lot of faith in them doing that in the off season? Like, no, like, yeah, exactly. And I think that that's something that's, um, a lot of fans have are you know been concerned about for a while now and i think that that's going to be something that's going to continue to concern them over the course of the off season because the bottom line is i understand that during the course of a season it's it's a busy time and it's and it's hard to to you know be like hey we got to tear this thing down to the studs and try to rebuild it from the ground up that being said you had multiple opportunities over the course of the season you had losing streaks that were massive that you could have done that during you had multiple breaks 
where the league just shut mm-hmm. down because of COVID or whatever other reason where you could have done that. And you knew at those points that, that it wasn't working and they didn't necessarily take those opportunities to turn things around or make significant changes um, or focus on, you know, that one brief moment in time where you had Marcus Johansson playing well, or at the time Marcus Johansson playing well on the power play and your power play was starting to look successful and it was, you know, operating at a good, you know, close to 25% or whatever it was for that short stretch of time and, and not build off of that and try to incorporate that. Certainly once you trade him, you know, figure out yep. somebody who can fill that role and essentially do what he was doing. So those are the things that worry me is that, okay, yes, you have this full off season. You're finally going to have a real off season where you know generally what your team is. You understand what your coaching staff is. These, these are the times where you have to make those changes. But I just feel like given how little we saw them attempt to make changes during the season, I'm, I'm questioning if we're going to see the wholesale changes that need to happen now. Exactly. And I, I don't have a ton of confidence in that. I think, you know, certain things, you know, systems wise, they'll look at, but the power play, I think I have the least confidence in all of them. Uh, me too. And it's, and it's a shame because, you know, and maybe, maybe once they know who they bring in in free agency, that'll change things because there, right. there would be a difference in how you're going to deploy a Philip Forsberg on the power play versus a Johnny Gaudreau. Right? Exactly. Like, and you do it totally different ways. Yeah. Uh, and, if you do go get one of those big fish, that's probably who you're going to build your power play setup around. Yeah. Uh, and so that's just going to depend. Yes. Now, the other thing, you know, we talked about goal scoring, as you said, we all kind of already knew that we've, we've gone over this forever. This is the other interesting thing that I noticed when kind of looking at the Kraken compared to the rest of the league in just basic terms. I'm not digging into, you know, analytics and all that other kind of stuff. Kraken finished second to last in PK percentage. Yeah. I mean, as much as we've talked about the penalty kill improving over the course of the season, and it did, Mm -hmm. you know, they kind of made this decision to be more aggressive with it. Yeah. Overall, the PK numbers just not good over the course of a season. I think you had these stretches that were really bad, like so awful bad, you know, you'd allow three or four in a game um, that, that it really weighs those numbers down. And like a lot of things for the crack in this season, they just, they had moments where they were doing everything right. It just was not nearly consistent enough. Yeah. And they did a good job of not taking penalties. You're in the, mm-hmm. you're in the bottom third as far as, you know, most penalties taken. So that's a great start in helping deal with a bad penalty kill is if, you know, just don't take penalties and then it can't hurt you kind of thing. But the bottom line is to be 74.55% on the power on the penalty kill is bad. It's really, really bad. I mean, it's not as bad as Vancouver. That was basically in the 60% most mm-hmm. of the year until basically that one game against the Kraken helped them out a lot when the Kraken went one for eight yeah. on the power play. But it's, it's really bad. And I do think that that's something that needs to kind of be talked about because I do hope that they pay attention and kind of fix that one up. We said it all year. What makes this team a playoff team? Arguably, it was just average goaltending and average special teams. And I I still stand by that. I think if the special teams, I think the goaltending became average. And the thing then that was holding them back was the special teams at that point. And so I would like to see that improved a lot this offseason as well. Um, Agreed. Although, and I think they have the building blocks on the PK to get it done. 
and mm-hmm. we've seen the times where they've looked good. They they have this kind of power kill setup that if you get the right yep. talent on it, get it going the right way. We saw it with Toronto last night in, in game one against Tampa. It can just be lethal against anyone. Yeah. That's where that's where almost I like this idea of bringing in another puck moving defenseman, and I mm-hmm. want them to kind of be a, a more veteran person, uh, because then I think that's that's what was really helping the power kill this year. Mm-hmm. Some of those stretch outlet passes that guys could make yes. and hit a Yanni Gord breaking in or whoever it was, Riley Shahan. He didn't necessarily convert a lot of his attempts, but he had lots of good attempts. And um, that's that's where bringing in a veteran who can who can play on the penalty kill, but also has mm-hmm. that tool in their toolbox to, to be able to whip out a, a, you know, a 70-foot pass if needed. I think that could be really fun. And I think that's one area where the Kraken missed Mark Giordano once he was traded. Yes. You know, certainly on the PK, he was doing a really good job right before that trade. He, he kind of figured things out. And that's, you know, a veteran defenseman who's, you know, probably a second or third pairing guy now. Uh, that's the kind of person you could bring in. Now, now that we brought it up, though, I want to uh, mention something about the puck moving defenseman. Yeah. Uh, that I thought was really interesting. That, because that yeah. Adam Larson should do it more because he's capable of it, but he doesn't ever do it. <laughs> uh those were not francis's exact words but um <laughs> no um they, they didn't really mention larson in that capacity but um you know they were asked about is puck moving defenseman a need and francis said yes we definitely would like to get one of those um you know we need a guy who can move the puck who can help generate offense you know now whether that's someone that we bring in in the off season or whether that's Riker Evans who can step right into that role. That's and he did thinking. mention Riker Evans right there. Um, and he also at a different point mentioned that that Riker Evans said he he'll have every opportunity to make the team out of training camp. Yeah. So it's someone they're clearly high on. And you know if they if the market doesn't work out for a puck moving defenseman, Riker Evans could just be the guy to slot in there. Exactly. And that's kind of what I was thinking all along was like, oh, yeah, they want a puck moving defenseman. I'm like, uh, you have one already. Mm-hmm. Like he's right there. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know that I, you know, my whole penalty kill. This is what you need thing works with Riker Evans. I don't know that we want to throw him to the no. wolves and be like, all right, your job is to make this p- this penalty kill uh, better and increase shorthanded goal attempts. Um, but but no, I mean, he's there. I've been saying it all along. He's going to be on this roster to start next season. I really don't see a way around that. He's just, he has had such a fantastic season. He's of the right age and the right point in his development where they're going to give him a significant shot in training camp. And I, and I just think based on everything I've seen from him, he will earn a roster spot with the Seattle Kraken next year. And I think that, yeah, they're already kind of getting that feel internally too. Uh, just just having him around. Certainly now that he's signed, he's in Charlotte and everything. That that was probably like that last kind of step that they were waiting for, and he's he's probably already helped make that decision for them. Yep, the path is certainly there for him. Yeah. Um, all right. What what else do you want to talk about, RJ, when it comes to the Kraken? What what worked this season? What didn't work? Um. I mean, let's see. I I think. I just, um, so much of it just boils down to they couldn't score. <laughs> right. A lot of it does. And, and I, one thing I, I guess I just want to say is that 
it gave me confidence hearing Ron Francis kind of diagnose what the team's problems were, mm-hmm. at least as far as roster composition. I think he's right on the money as far as as team needs, which yes. isn't the case for all GMs. Nope. Um, so and certainly since the trade deadline, I've just gotten a lot more confident in Ron Francis and kind of what the plan is. And I'm, I'm just ready to go for this offseason because I think he knows what needs to be fixed and he's he's capable of doing it. He's got the ammo now and, and he's smart. So. Um, I feel good about that. Yeah, goal scoring, just that was a huge issue. The the defensive lapses, you know, were mm-hmm. another one. Those turnovers, you know, through your own zone, that sort of thing. Hopefully, that's the one where I'm hoping having a whole off season and just kind of getting to train together and all that stuff makes it better because we've seen at times they're capable of just getting rid of these they're capable of even early in the season playing long stretches where they barely allow a shot on goal mm-hmm. um we saw basically that clinic in the colorado game uh, yeah. where they beat the abs at the end of the season like you know if you play like that just get that over you know most of your 82 games and you should be fine um and they've shown they're capable of doing it even with the defensive that they have now and that's kind of without adding whoever they're going to add so I hopefully that one can get fixed. I it's just I don't I don't know what it is. It's it's a consistency thing. It's it is a consistency thing and it's so weird when that was the one strength. You know, the two things going into the season we knew was that we had one of the best if not the best goaltending tandem in the NHL and we had this defensive core that yes, it may be outside of Geo lacks a superstar but it was going to be rock solid night in, night out. And it was going to be physical and it was, you know, going to create a lot of problems for other teams that might try to, you know, operate in the slot or drive the net. And then the season comes along and neither goaltender can make a stop really to, to, to save their lives at times. And the defense just, despite having all these giants, like literal giants back there, <laughs> just refuse to hit anybody, muscle anybody, body up anybody, use their sticks. That's still the thing that bothers me is like all these guys have massive reaches. If you're not going to play super physical, at least use your reach to disrupt what they're trying to do. Use your stick to get in a passing lane, poke check the puck. I've never seen a team so like shy about poke checking. Yeah. It's something they definitely not taken advantage of. You know, when you've got that kind of reach, you got to, you know, use that stick, use that reach. Like you were saying, um, and hopefully that's something the coaching staff kind of zeroes in on, you know, when they watch the tape or, I mean, I don't know, maybe bringing in some whoever else they bring in allows guys to more slot into roles they're comfortable with. I think you had a lot of guys who maybe weren't the most comfortable with playing an offensive role kind of forced into that. Mm-hmm. And especially at the end of the season, losing geo. Yeah. Um, and I think they, uh, you know, a lot of guys did a really good job in that Carson Susie mm-hmm. first and foremost, for sure. But, um, you know, if you take some of that workload off of him there, you know, maybe they can focus a little bit more on defense. Exactly. It it does feel like in a lot of sense, a lot of the sense, you know, as we were talking about earlier with the power play and stuff, it does feel like a lot of stuff was set it and forget it for the year. Mm-hmm. Like they set things up and then they were just like, OK, this is how we're going to play. And they just didn't really come back to it over the course of the year. And it'll be interesting to see. um you know, it. I, I don't think you can continue to do that. I think maybe you could have that be the idea for your first season and you're just trying to figure it out and you didn't have, you know, a proper training camp and nobody knew anybody. And certainly things like lines and defensive pairings was not consistent at all throughout the course of the year. That's, again, something that 
you can maybe get away with this year, but I don't think you can continue to get away with. That's something else I want to bring up is just, you know, you kind of have to have lines and, and people get used to playing with each other if you want to have any sort of sustained con- success or consistency, right? That was part of it on defense was if you're con- if you're playing with a new person every other night, it's it's hard to feel confident that, hey, I can step up and go for this poke check and and know that the guy behind me's got it or I can I can try to make this play behind my own net and know that the other guy can cover the slot for the guy that's going to try to streak down and fill up the space I just left. We saw that happen a lot this year where that that communication was not there, that chemistry was not there between defensive partners and um I do I hope that a full off season together and full training camp together We'll kind of set up what those pairings are going to be. They can establish what those roles are, really communicate with each other. Because for whatever reason in sports, training camp is the only time that guys will talk about that stuff with each other. I don't know why that is, and that's an all-sports issue. Um, but I, I hope that that's, that that's something that can happen and that that improves. And then when things aren't working, that yes, the coaching staff gets a little more hands-on than it seems like they were this year as far as addressing those issues before it's too late. Because I really think that, you know, early on in this year, they were just like, well, everybody's stressed. Everybody's trying to figure it out. Let's just give it time. But before they knew it, they were essentially out of a playoff spot by Thanksgiving. And then it was just, oh, you know what I mean? I think that's probably what happened. And uh, And don't want that again. no. And, and that consistency in the pairings and the lines too, that's something that players brought up as well. Uh, Jordan Eberly talked about it and how nice it was to have this mm-hmm. consistent line of, you know, him and Maddie and, and Ryan Donato, um, you know, for the end of the season. And he said, that's one of the things that separates, you know, the good teams from, from the bad teams. You think about the best teams in the league, you know, Tampa, Boston, um, you know, there's another one he mentioned, but you look at some of these famous lines, you know, you instantly think like the perfection line things, you know, yeah. they've been together for years, sometimes a decade. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that can really help separate you, you know, and be a great team. And it's just not something the Kraken really had this season, but hopefully that they, they can have next season. Yeah. And I think that they will. I mean, we yeah. talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. Maddie Beneers fixed that issue. Like, like yes. the moment he walked in that door, the lines were set and we were able to see the lines kind of take on their own identities and their own styles of play and, and saw a lot of things improve five on five for the Kraken as a whole. I even think it helped out the defense um, later on too. It, things got then complicated when Vince Dunn left that threw a whole wrench defensively. Again, injuries happen. We'll just have to see with all that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think that's, that's really it as far as um, kind of that macro you know, large scale view of, of what worked, what didn't. We've been talking about it all year though, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could, we can rehash this, you know, forever, but um, yeah, good, good to kind of get that, that wrap up from the players and, mm-hmm. you know, really get a sense of where the organization's at. And uh, certainly after hearing from Ron Francis, the each of the last few times I've heard from him, I've, I've just felt more and more confident and excited for the off season. Yeah. Just to know that, you know, yes, you have a big problem, like in your goal scoring problem, but it's at least identified and you know that the organization is considering it its top priority. Yeah. Like that's all you can hope for as a fan base. Yes. And that, you know, everyone all the way up to ownership is willing to then spend the money, you know, do whatever yeah. it takes to address that yeah. and go after that top priority. So, yeah. um, 
Yeah, that's all you can ask. Yeah, because there are definitely teams around the NHL where their problem may not be as obvious. Or mm-hmm. it's, we got problems all over the place. Where do we even start? Or it's, our problem is super obvious, but I have zero confidence in our ownership or our front office to do anything about it. And, you know, we can all just be thankful that we are not in that situation with the Seattle Kraken. That is a very important thing. And, uh, yeah, definitely something to be thankful about and, and have optimism for the off season. Yep, absolutely. All right, so... That's going to do it for this episode of The Deep Dive. Thanks, everybody, for being patient those extra couple days. Let RJ get in there for all the exit interviews and everything. I I think it was worth it. Um, We're going to let RJ now go and sleep for for at least 48 hours. It's probably what he needs, looking at him. Uh, And um, we'll see you all next week for uh, kind of part two of our season wrap-up where we'll go and break things down player by player and all that stuff. And then at some point soon here, we are going to be talking, you know, going back and revisiting the expansion draft and either doing a redraft or at least talking about, you know, kind of reviewing it and seeing after the season, you know, which which picks do we still like, which situations do we still wish might have happened, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Hindsight, you know, we're going to do the 2020 thing. <laughs> exactly. Is that, is that how people talk about it? I don't know. It should be. There's a good line in there somewhere. Some, you know, leave it in the comment section on YouTube for this. Let, let me know what it is. Um, all right. So thanks, everybody. We'll see you all next time. Bye.